Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and it is July already, and training camp supposed to start at the end of the month, so it kind of feels like we're screaming through the offseason. And here to talk about it is managing editor of Field Goals, Mookie Alexander. Mookie, it uh, it feels weird to be in the same month now that training camp is supposedly going to start up in. Yeah, on one hand, it's like uh, you can't believe it's July already, and on the other hand, you're going... Man, it feels like it's taken forever just to get to July. It it does. It's a, it's a little bit of a, uh, I don't know what you call that. I know we're supposed to be good at words, uh, writing at uh, field goals, but uh, it's uh, it, it's messing with my mind a little bit. Yeah, we've entered a twilight zone of sorts. It has been an interesting offseason. One of the things that I feel like we've been following constantly through the offseason is the Genevieve Clowney situation. And we did have some news this past week. I don't know how much... Uh, of of news it is as far as newsworthiness goes, but Josina Anderson said she talked to Clowney and that uh, he has not narrowed it down to a team yet. The Seahawks, he, he's apparently still open to returning to the Seahawks. So uh, there you go on the, the news on the Clowney front for whatever it's worth. Yes, yeah, so it, it's a very important non-update update. <laughs> we, we've been going at this for several weeks at a time. And, and you know, previously, we would just write up these non-updates as, hey, this is something, because people are still very interested in where Clowney's going to go. But at this point, it's like, you know, we'll just wait until I actually see a, a reputable journalist go, Jadavion Clowney is on the verge of signing with such and such. Whether it's the Seahawks or the Titans or the Browns or some other team, that's the only meaningful Clowney update that we're going to get from now until, you know, whenever the season starts. Oh, it doesn't even have to be a contract. It just has to be... Clowney has met with this team because then then I feel like at least there there is an important thing to note. Yeah, or, or it's, uh, you know, unfortunately, with the cases rising everywhere in the pandemic, airport watch isn't really a thing at the moment. Right. So we, we may not even have that. But, you know, as we've seen throughout this offseason, it doesn't necessarily I know everybody points to the issues with injuries with Clowney. And that's the big reason why he hasn't been signed. But we've seen injured guys end up with teams we've seen i mean shoot todd Gurley ended up with the falcons and he wasn't even on the street for more than a few days uh we just saw cam newton go to the patriots and you know apparently not doing physicals he has a lot of injury issues uh, going on and uh, the, there's the patriots getting a steal on cam newton yeah i just seen cam newton's contract and it's you might as well be making a minimum minimum wage because it's it's literally the league minimum actually one year one million and then all of the incentives take it up to what was it seven and a half million right that is incredibly cheap for the Patriots it is so low risk and high upside and once again even under this offseason New England finds a way to uh to to upset everyone with how they managed to to get these signings or or, or trades any sort of offseason acquisition they're just masterful at doing uh but I, I guess the difference between Cam and Gurley and Clowney is that with Gurley, he didn't sign for a lot of money either. I think it's one year, three million, and also the Rams are paying part of his salary, so that also helps. With Newton, you see the contract that he got. With Jadeveon Clowney, the assumption is he's supposed to be one of the higher-paid defensive ends in the league, and there's not been as much interest as I think he expected there to be, and whatever he signs for, it's not going to be like some incredibly low number, but it's not going to be that $20 million a year that was floated around uh, when the offseason began. It's probably going to be a few million less than that. And at this point, it might just be because of his knee injury and some of the other question marks surrounding his health. 
that he might have to do another quote unquote prove it deal. Well, not another prove it deal, but just a prove it deal right. before we determine if he's he's going to be getting a long term contract with whatever team he signs. with. Well, that feels like in that case, maybe it uh, maybe it's a good thing for the Seahawks case because that would be a familiar location. He knows, you know, essentially what he could do in the system, whereas going to another place, it could be a little bit more of an unknown for him. Yeah, and we're really getting to crunch time right now. If we suppose there is going to be a season, then we're in July. Preseason is going to be over a month from now. We've got training camp supposedly starting at the end of the month. There's not a whole lot of prep time. So the, the, the idea of Kalani just being able to, to sign within the next few weeks and then just hop in and, and, and be in game shape uh, seems pretty unlikely to me. Well, and going back to Cam Newton, you know, there's a couple of Seahawks tie-ins here. We could go the direction of the fact that Richard Sherman called the contract a joke. And I think we can look at that and say, gosh, even with incentives, the fact that he's only maxing out at seven and a half million for a former MVP, I, I tend to agree a little bit with, with Richard Sherman here that that's kind of it. With Cam Newton, you feel like based on his history, with incentives, I mean, why not take it all the way up to, to 20 million if that's not going to necessarily count against the Patriots cap space? Like, why not incentivize it even more? So that that's a little bit weird. But then also the other Seahawks tie in is the fact that, you know, they are scheduled to have their home opener against the Patriots. And that matchup could be a whole lot more interesting. Yeah, it was certainly a lot more interesting now compared to hey, Jared Stidham. Or, is it going to be Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer in week two? Yeah, the, the only way you could drum up anything is the fact that the Brian Hoyer-led 49ers nearly beat Seattle at Century Link <laughs> in 2017. But uh, I, I doubt that he's gotten any bit better in those three years. And then Jared Stidham, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's not good. And if he is, then he probably is going to get the starting job and Newton's going to be cut. Because the, the only reason I can think of Cam Newton getting that sort of contract is the, the, the question marks concerning his health. Because he had a serious shoulder injury in 2018, required surgery, a Liz Frank fracture on his foot that shut him down for pretty much all of 2019 and even before the uh, injury in 2019 with with his his foot he looked really off with his throwing motion his his lack of willingness to run and i, I assume the foot injury had a lot to do with that so it's uh, when you consider how he's been used as a runner and how often he he's not really sliding or anything he's taken on contact like a regular running back the, the concern about him being physically shot i think is a valid opinion to have but if he's able to have some sort of uh, glimpses of, of his 2015 form, then this is great for New England and terrible for the rest of the AFC East because if Cam Newton is even 80% of what he was in his best years, then suddenly the Patriots are, are, are your typical favorite too. Just when the Bills, Jets, and Dolphins thought, ah, this is our chance Brady has left, New England comes and swoops in and gets a former MVP. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Go, it just it, it figures, right? I, I think, and even when Cam was released, and you're looking at where he could end up because he did leave a little bit late in free agency. It, when you looked around the NFL, you thought, well, maybe San Diego because they have Tyrod Taylor. Then you looked at New England and them not having a quarterback situation. It just seemed like, and I guess I should mention the fact that the Bears went and got Nick Foles from Jacksonville. So with all those things moving around and. Brady going to Tampa Bay and Philip Rivers going to Indy. It really seemed like New England was going to be the place where Cam ended up. But it was just that question of could Cam and Bill Belichick coexist with one another? 
yeah, that's going to be a fun storyline. In fact, it actually makes New England an interesting team to watch uh, if, if we have a season. Uh, more than in recent seasons where it's like, oh, it's a formality. New England, first round by, it's a matter of how many playoff games they win. So with the quarterback situation this offseason, it's been fascinating because you see Jameis Winston sign for, I I think, league minimum as well. And Mm -hmm. as much as he's just been a turnover machine his entire career, he's still a perfectly acceptable starting quarterback. The good Jameis Winston uh, is, to me, average to above average. And there's still a lot to like about his game. There's lots of dislike, but I think it still can be correctable. And maybe some of his issues with his vision and, and uh, uh, other things that I think were brought up, I think injuries as well, uh, will make him a better quarterback. But he didn't sign for a lot of money. Andy Dalton, kind of the, the writing was on the wall in Cincinnati, but he, he signs in Dallas. But Phillip Rivers gets, what, 20-something million to, to yeah, go to 25. Indianapolis. And he, and he 25. And he really looked cooked last year. Uh, and then Brady, of course, was always going to get that money. But for Cam Newton, uh, yeah, it, it went from, hey, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, Super Bowl uh, participant, to it, it, a good year in 2017, to now all the way down to this. And the fact that his replacement is Teddy Bridgewater, there's almost some sort of irony there because Teddy Bridgewater was largely written off uh, because of his health issues right around the same time Cam Newton was having his best seasons. Right. And and they didn't it's not an insignificant contract that Bridgewater signed. So yeah, this has been really wild in terms of the the, the quarterback situation. And it, it could work out for Cam and Belichick. Look, Belichick has has done an excellent job with Tom Brady for the longest while. But also when Brady w- hasn't been there, he's been able to win with Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett for that one game. And he took the Patriots to an 11 win season, albeit with no playoffs, with Matt Castle at quarterback. And that fooled Kansas City into giving him a really bad contract. So I think Belichick is more than aware that he can devise something to suit Cam Newton. And it's all a matter of is Newton still going to be healthy enough? And is there a serious physical decline? Because if there is, then it, this is all moots and New England might end up having a rough year. But, you know, it, it's all fascinating to see. Well, you know, it could all end up being moot uh, with the entire season, Mookie. And one of the things we saw the NFL do this week is announce that they were going to cut the preseason games uh, down to just two games, cut out weeks one and four. I- I'm trying to decide if that's a good move, or like a-, a hopeful move. Like, Does this mean we're we're more likely to have an NFL season or not? It's the NFL is such a money machine more than any other sports league in North America that if it would take the worst case scenario, I think, with the pandemic in this country for them to cancel the season entirely. Now, college sports is a different story. I don't expect a college football season. I don't mm-hmm. expect college basketball or any of those things, and rightly so, especially if a lot of those campuses are going to be closed. Sure. Uh, but at a professional level, there's a little bit more flexibility. With the NFL, the, the preseason getting cut down felt inevitable, especially with the uncertainty uh, surrounding training camp. And there's still quite a bit of uncertainty as cases spike, especially in states where there are multiple teams uh, like California. And I know you said San Diego earlier, but oh. it, it's habits. Los Angeles <laughs> right. Chargers. Um, but, but you, have you know, it'll probably I, I think I still call it the NFC North uh, or, so, the, or, the or NFC, Central. NFC Central. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It, it, once it's ingrained in your brain, you just you can't get used to it, even if it's been around for a while. But yeah, you have the, the preseason being chopped down, but also no proper mini camp, all the workouts done virtually. It's hard to get game ready and, and, and just physically ready and mentally ready all in this condensed window. Like remember when the lockout happened in 2011 and 
I think the Hall of Fame game did get canceled because of that. When the players finally struck a deal, you had this condensed window to prepare, and we had a ton of injuries, and it kind of made things totally out of whack. So 2020, understandably so, is going to be way worse than 2011, especially with the issue of players potentially getting COVID-19. If there's going to be any good news out of this is maybe this is the end of the uh, preseason game system because I think next year, thanks to the new CBA, because the regular season is going to be 17 games uh, from then on, right? they have the option to reduce the preseason games. And if fans or when fans return, I think they're tired of paying full price for exhibition games. They, they don't want to pay full price to watch third stringers play. So if it's down to two preseason games or three preseason games in the long term, starting in 2020, I don't think anybody's going to mind. No, I, I think that would be maybe the one benefit. And I guess the question that a lot of people bring up, though, is with the cut down of the preseason games, is that going to impact the the difficulty that teams are going to have to make with regard to roster cutdowns? Yeah, it has to, especially since I think the league is is looking at reducing, I guess, because of capacity reasons and then not having as many people around, reducing the the roster sizes for training camps. Right, and it kind of seems like we could have the roster sizes reduced for training camps, but the roster size increase for actual games. Yeah, because players are going to drop out either due to COVID and they have to quarantine or, or, or hopefully it's not to the point of hospitalization. And you just have so many variables here that we could see like a 60 man roster or, or, or some sort of one time exception. And look, so the NFL is going on business as usual as far as the regular season. They got September 10th as opening day. I would not be surprised if we have this season either truncated as in fewer regular season games or push the start back a couple of months. Well, the Players Association is doing their best to try and negotiate with the NFL and figure something out. I want to talk a little bit about uh, something that went into that here this past week that the Seahawks were involved with also after the break, Mookie. It is rivalry week at SB Nation, and I want to ask you which team in the NFC West you dislike the most, and we're going to get to all that coming up next. Talking to Mookie Alexander, managing editor of Field Goals, talking a little bit about the season moving forward and the Players Association. I, I mentioned them going into the break that uh, they they weren't so happy, I guess, necessarily that. And I don't know if their wording was all that strong, but Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf, they're posting to social media how they've been working out. The Players Association came out and said, you know, it's it's really not in the best interest of player safety. Actually, it was even before the workout that they were advising players against joint practices. Then the video comes out and then you see the NFLPA president talking about, Hey, this, this is not in the best interest of player safety. I did. I didn't think it was, you know, incredibly strongly worded. Like they were totally down on, on Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf or Tom Brady being out there, but they're like, you know, Hey, we're trying to figure this out before the season. This is probably not the time to be at least posting and not posting it to social media. Yeah, that might have been better to just put on your private channel or not upload it all. Do it all in secret, like the good old days. <laughs> like like if this were the 1990s, you don't have social media around. So the, the only way this is going to get filmed is if somebody's hovering over your house for some reason. Um, but yeah, th- th- this is a, a really tricky time. The NFLPA and the NFL have a lot to work out. We've seen what the NBA Players Association and the NBA have had to deal with just to restart the season and go to the bubble in Orlando. And that is looking really shaky with how bad Florida has been hit. 
Then you see Major League Baseball and their players union uh, and, and the fact that we almost didn't even have a season outright. So maybe there's a hope there that Major League Baseball can have its 60 game season. So for the NFL, there's still a lot to be done as far as as testing, as far as training camps, as far as practices, so many other things. So th- this didn't feel like a, a, a sternly worded message, as he said. It's more like a, a tisk tisk. Well, and like I said, too, I think it's because the NFL and the and the Players Association are trying to work things out. And I'm sure the NFL can say, hey, all these guys are out there practicing anyway. What's the big deal What you know, with what you're trying to do? They're trying to have a full NFL season. And it sounds like the NFLPA may want preseason games canceled, you know, all four games outright. So I, there is still a lot to be negotiated. And it probably just doesn't help the Players Association position uh, if, if there's a lot of this going on. Yeah, definitely. And I should bring up that if there's no preseason games at all, then going back to what we said before the break about uh, the rosters, that's going to be completely devastating to any undrafted free agents and and those who are really having to fight for a roster spot in the first place. I think that's when a lot of teams would just prefer to go with what they know. Right. And you're going to see very few rookie snaps, for example, for even your high draft picks. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So that's that's going to be something to watch. And as fans, you know, I, I feel like we're always dialing into the preseason to try and make it, you know, put an idea in our head of how these final rosters are going to work out and to not even really get to know what that's going to see until week one of the NFL season. That's going to feel weird as a fan. Yeah, it really is. Now, of course, as, as fans, we know that the coaches don't always use the preseason games as as their major factor for determining who gets cut and who doesn't. They know a lot more behind the scenes with with training camp and other practices. Mookie, uh, you're talking to a guy that has a Case and Williams custom jersey. So I, you know, it's you don't <laughs> yes, need to tell me. <laughs> Case and Williams forever. Well, uh, every year we have some wide receiver be the uh, the flavor of the month, and and then we either get upset that they've been cut or celebrate in John or Sue's case that they made the team. <laughs> Hey, speaking of amazing wide receivers like John Arsua, how about what should we make of the fact that we see Antonio Brown working out at Russell Wilson's football facility? I hope that's uh, a video from last year. That's all, <laughs> all I can say, because if it is from 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 this week or sometime recently, absolutely not to signing AB. That's just a disaster waiting to happen. I do support if Josh Gordon could get reinstated, bringing Gordon back. He seems to have interest in, in playing in, in Seattle, and I'd love to see him get more snaps and, and and more knowledge of this offense. So he's not just getting slant passes all the time because the, the potential for him to be a very valuable contributor as even a third wide receiver option is still there. But Brown, no, that's not worth the hassle. Yeah, this whole dynamic between Russell Wilson and Antonio Brown, it, it's almost like the clash that we talked about earlier that's going on in my mind of we're already to July, but gosh, it's taken this long to be to July. Like these two things just don't seem to go together, but here they are. Yeah, this is one of those cases where when Seattle's previous season ended after the loss to Green Bay, and then we get into February and March, we're talking about, hey, let's let's get uh, Russell Wilson a big-time name. This is not what anybody had in mind. At the very least, I suppose it's going to give us another thing to watch over the next month or so, because it does feel like there's this this push for Antonio Brown to get back in the league. But, you know, also when I see things where he says, like, he expects to be making a pretty decent-sized contract, uh, when he comes back to the NFL, that's when I know, okay, well, <laughs> who is who saw what went on with Oakland and then with New England and go, and would say, okay, here's another 10 million guaranteed, Antonio. 
yeah, that's the type of thing that if it blows up in your face, like John Schneider and, and PK will both have serious questions coming at them for how they would handle such a signing. And, and it doesn't make sense anyway. He's If he gets signed by an 18, it's to make him a number one or number two receiver. Seattle already has Lockett and Metcalf. So they don't need somebody who's not only just, he's a talented receiver at his peak, but what has gone on this last year or two has been totally unacceptable. It, it, it makes T.O. blush. And this is a team that did sign Terrell Owens right. back in 2012, remember? Right. I, oh, I, I remember that very well. Yeah, and yeah, it, it definitely feels like you and I, Mookie, are on the same page uh, with regard to uh, whether or not the Seahawks should go after Ant- Antonio Brown. I'm, I'm curious if we're on the same page on this next question because it is rivalry week at SB Nation, and it's got me thinking about the idea of which NFC West rival that I dislike the most. And it, it feels like it's been a little bit of a rotation and it kind of, for, in, in my eyes, goes on coaches because, like, you know, disliking Bruce Arians was very easy uh, just in the way he, he threw his players under the bus. It was never his fault. Disliking Jim Harbaugh, very easy to do when he was with the 49ers. And, and now that the 49ers are back on top, it was the Rams for a little while. Just, well, I... I've never gotten over disliking the Rams just because I feel like those less talented teams under Jeff Fisher, the Seahawks have never uh, been able to get by them. And then Sean McVay comes along and it, he's a, he's a tough uh, coach to play against. So there's a lot of Rams hate there. I, I'm curious in your mind, who do you dislike the most? For me, it's the Rams, it, it, whether they're in Los Angeles, St. Louis or, or, or wherever else on the planet. The Rams are my most disliked NFC West rival. Now, with the 49ers, of course, I grew up in the Bay Area as a kid. So mm. I, I started out as a 49ers fan. And then by the time I hit my age 11 or 12. Yeah, when you could know fully, better. Yeah, when, I, when, when my senses uh, really formed into something mature, I went with the Seahawks. And it also helped that Jerry Rice and ended up being a Seahawks, Seahawks <laughs> legend, Jerry Rice. Yes. And also Sean Alexander is somebody that uh, I, I was a fan of because shared the same last name. So you have that in there. But the 49ers, there was a pretty long stretch where they not only were they not relevant, Seattle was beating them pretty easily. Um, but with the Cardinals, I don't think anybody really dislikes the Cardinals. They're, they're, <laughs> they're just a franchise that exists. I mean, you can. there's no team I can think of that has a serious rivalry with them. Now I dislike their stadium yeah. because a lot of bad things happen there. Just a few. And I also, yeah, just a few. And I dislike the fact that Arizona regularly comes to Seattle and, and and beats this team, including a terrible Cardinals team last year, comfortably beating Seattle uh, on what was a Christmas Eve or, or Christmas weekend at the very least. Uh-huh. Like the the worst you could come up with is that they were the they were Russell Wilson's first opponent, and Arizona had ended up winning pretty much at the goal line, and they were the first opponent when CenturyLink Field opened up. And Arizona beat Seattle then. So they've got a pretty good track record at CenturyLink. But Seattle's also finally got past its early struggles at that stadium and actually started winning there pretty much all the time. Uh, Of course, usually it comes at a cost. But for the Rams, that rivalry still stings. Let's not forget it. The early years when, you know, towards the tail end of the Holmgren era. But basically, it's Seattle's first golden generation, I guess you could say, when they were a regular playoff team and a... Uh, divisional contender and ultimately a Super Bowl contender, the Rams were that roadblock. Mm-hmm. The Rams swept Seattle. They, they went three and zero in two thousand four. They they handed Seattle to date the only home playoff loss they've ever had at CenturyLink Field. Right. And the, the get over the hump moment was in two thousand five when they went into St. Louis 
and had a, a big rally. And, and their season was kind of, uh, you know, I won't say teetering or anything, but they were two and two, and that felt like a must-win game. And they're able to win, and it just set off this prolonged stretch where they were just beating the Rams all the time. But then the Jeff Fisher era came, and it's like, <laughs> can't stand Jeff Fisher. Can't stand the fact that the Rams' pass rush seems to just unlock Seattle's offensive line every single game. Um, and and the fact that really good Seahawks teams have had a hard time comfortably beating Rams teams, whether at home or away. Like, away, we remember the Monday night game in, in the Super Bowl season, and Russell's getting sacked seven times because they got backup tackles and Chris Long and Robert Quinn could do whatever they wanted. But now it's a little bit more competitive in the sense that Sean McVay's around. McVay is much more likable than Jeff Fisher. But the frustrating bits is that Seattle's defense just seemingly has no answer for the Rams' offense. But it's generated the most emotion out of me for sure. Like the the Greg Zerline game with him missing the the potential game winning field goal last year. That's one of the high points of the season for me. Um, but for San Francisco, it, it really depends. As you said, it's a rotation thing. Now they're back on top uh, at, of the NFC West. They coming off a Super Bowl loss, and that's glorious to say. Uh, but San Francisco went into Seattle, and won the division, and got the number one seed by winning essentially by a yard. So I, I don't really begrudge anyone who says San Francisco uh, is their most disliked rival be, because really the best stretch of rivalry play at a high level where both teams are great was the Harbaugh versus Carroll days. Now, they had a beef dating back to college, but also those games were genuinely high intensity, really good defenses, really promising quarterbacks. Of course, Kaepernick and Wilson was a rivalry that looked to be long-term and then it fizzled for multiple reasons. But 49er Seahawks in the Harbaugh Carroll days, that's the best rivalry out of the NFC West. But in terms of the nearly 20 years that Seattle has been in the NFC West, just can't stand the Rams. It's it's like a holiday whenever Seattle beats the Rams. Yes. I, I, as far as teams go, I can't stand the Rams. But as far as fan bases go, the, the 49ers fan base has draws the, the most of my sports hatred, I think. And and maybe that's easy because really Arizona and L.A., they don't really have fan bases. So it's really the one that's left. Yeah, and then the Rams, they steadily lost their fan base by the by the time they were done in St. Louis because that used to be a really loud place. And then suddenly it's like half-empty stadium. It's cavernous feel to it. But still, it's, you never really like playing there. Well, Mookie, before we get out of here, there's one thing that I had to bring up. And this was an article up on Field Goals this past week. And I'm, I'm having a hard time in my mind understanding why this ended up uh, just being on ESPN because Field Yates – and ESPN, they had an article just this last week of five player-for-player player trades. And one of those trades involved the Seahawks. But it wasn't any big names like you might think. No, the, the trade was Ethan Posick for Sidney Jones of the Eagles. Why, why is this a thing? <laughs> the Eagles would say no. Um, <laughs> like it, it's, I guess the article is four player-for-player player trades and then one with Yannick Ngakwe going to the Browns from Jacksonville for David Njoku in a draft pick. But the others are the general idea. Player yeah, and they put those trade. other four behind a paywall. So they you, you get the one good one that you can see for free. And then, you know, I feel bad for the people that, that paid uh, for ESPN uh, Plus just to get that one article to find out that those other four trades are really uh, not that notable. Yeah, I, I have an ESPN Plus subscription. So luckily I got to see the full thing. And this is some weird ones like the 49ers trading Dante Pettis for the to, to the Texans for a Kiki QT, like a wide receiver for wide receiver trade. No, nobody in the league does that. I can't remember that happening very often. Then you have like Riley Reef from the Vikings to the Chargers for Desmond King. Chargers would say no to that like 10 times out of 10 because King's a pretty good player. But 
Posick, I think he's going to have a hard time making the team. Uh, but he does seem like trade, a likely candidate to me to yeah. be traded, though. Uh, he could he could get traded, but for Sidney Jones, I think Seattle is fine with its secondary depth. And Sidney Jones just he he's battled a lot of injuries dating back to to when he tore his Achilles uh, at, at his pro day, and he's had a hard time staying on the field when healthy because he's been chan- you know alternating between making some good plays and then just getting burned outright. So. I don't think that Jones is going to be really competing for any spot with Seattle. He's not right. going to be a legitimate nickel option. And pending the Quentin Dunbar case, which is getting more and more confusing by the day, I think they're fine with Dunbar, Flowers, and Griffin. And it's not like Jones is going to have some sort of contract year, I would think, uh, a great contract year that he's going to warrant some sort of extension for Seattle. Quentin Dunbar, this has been it just, you know, when I forget about that, the, that just goes to show you how crazy this offseason has been. Yeah, it, it feels like uh, certain things that happened two, three weeks ago or a month ago happened nine months ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mookie, really want to thank you for coming on, talking Hawks this week. Uh, anything big coming up on field goals here in these next few days? Uh, yeah, Samuel Gold, he, he's back on field goals at least through the summer, and he's got a uh, DK Metcalf film breakdown. So be on the lookout for that because I know you can't get enough DK Metcalf content. Absolutely. No, there there is not enough. Even when they show like the, the male players as female swap faces, uh, that is DK content that I that I will go for all the time as well. Yes, it, it, DK Metcalf all the time. And Again, another reason why there's no reason to sign Antonio Brown. <laughs> exactly. Check it out, fieldgoals.com. I think I'm going to be having Sam on the next podcast as well, so stay tuned for that. Subscribe to the show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. And until next time, go Hawks. <laughs>